0: Well, good morning again. It's uh, great to be with you worshiping. My name's Eugene, and I'm glad that you're here with us. Uh, like Danny mentioned, we've been uh, studying the Ten Commandments, uh, and we started this about four weeks ago. And I don't, I don't know about you, if you've been here as we've been studying this, for me it's, I feel like I've kind of found something I've forgotten. You know when you find something that uh, you, you, you have stowed away in your closet or a drawer, and you forgot you had it, and you find it? I don't know, maybe it's like $20 you leave in your jacket last winter, and this winter you're putting it on, and you, oh, I found $20, you know, something that you had all along and you forgot, and that feeling of, like, joy and value and worth, that's what this series has been like for me, because like many of you, I grew up in the church, and uh, I memorized the Ten Commandments and forgot them at a very young age. And so I've been going back through and studying it, and this is a series I've been looking forward to for quite some time now. And so as we uh, move to the fourth commandment today, I hope that you'll really engage and pay attention because, like Danny said, this is an easy one to overlook, but it's probably the one that we violate more than any other. And I think there's a lot of really good words for uh, for us today. And so let's read this together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And uh, rather than skipping to the fourth commandment, we're going to begin in the very beginning and we're going to read them all together. And every week, we're going to keep adding on a commandment. And because I want us to remember the Ten Commandments, to re them, not just memorize them. So Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and God said, spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Remember the Sabbath day, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant. Nor your animals, nor the alien living within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. Let's really quickly review the, the four commandments up to this point. What is the first commandment? No other gods before me, okay? Let's let's repeat this together. No other gods. Come on, let's do this. I'm not going to move on until we do this together. No other gods. What's the second commandment? No idols for worship. Don't make any graven images, any carved images made by hand. The third commandment, we looked at this last week. What is it? Do not misuse his name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Respect God's name. And the one that we're looking at today is what? It is, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, okay? We're going to do this every week. Let's remember it. Let's rememorize these 10 very important commands upon our lives. They're not suggestions, friends. It's not good advice. It's God, our God, commanding us to live this way so that we can experience the best possible life. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we enter into this time of worship, would it uh, be uh, an experience where we are able to experience shalom, uh, that full, holistic peace that is able to not only give us rest to our bodies, but also to our minds and to our souls? Father, we come in here after a weary week. We've been studying, we've been working. We've been hard at it. Many of us are just even falling asleep now as we pray. We're distracted because we have work to get back to later today or early tomorrow. And yet, Lord, this is a time you want us to set aside, to make holy and be with you. And so, God, engage us fully, totally, completely. Have your way with us, God, at this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I want to read to you uh, an actual confession from a workaholic. His name is Tony Schwartz. And this is what he uh, wrote in an article. He says, uh, Several weeks ago, I flew to Florida on a Sunday at dawn to collaborate with my business partner on a project related to our work, helping executives counterbalance stress with recovery ironic. We worked until late that night and resumed again early Monday morning, pushing hard until 2 p.m. when I flew back home to New York. I worked on my laptop on the plane without ever looking up, made calls on my cell phone in the car while driving home from the airport, kissed my daughter hello when I arrived, and raced upstairs to respond to my accumulated email messages. At 6 p.m. I changed clothes, got back into my car, and sped to an important business meeting. It lasted until 10 p.m. And on the way home, I called my partner by cell phone to debrief him. We were still talking as I pulled into my driveway. Intent on finishing the conversation before I went inside, I stayed in my car. His voice began to break up, so I got out of the car and began walking around to see if I could get a better connection. The next thing I knew... My car was rolling down our lawn, headed straight for the stone wall 30 feet away. Horrified, I began chasing the car as it ran over azaleas, hydrangeas, and rose bushes. At the last possible moment, I reached in and yanked the emergency brake. The car jerked to a halt just two inches from the stone wall. When I recovered from my shock, the message seemed inescapably clear. I was on the verge of hitting the wall myself and I had better pay attention, literally speaking and figuratively. Here is a guy who has been working nonstop only to come home, change clothes, kiss his daughter, hello, goodbye, off to another meeting, staying up until all the work is done but realizing it's never really done and it dawns on him finally when he almost wrecks his car into a stone wall that he's literally about to hit the wall. We are the most workaholic culture in the history of the world. So this sermon, this message is crucial. It's vital for us to hear. We are overworked. We are tired. We are studying and working and producing and outputting out of our minds more than any other culture at any other time in the world. And so this is a message we need to receive as a gift from God so that we can be human, which means we can rest We can take a break, we can pause, we can cease. The problem is, it's not as easy to do. It's easier said than done to take a break, to pause, to rest, to Sabbath. And the reason why it's so hard is because, let's just be honest, the economy is not great, not only in the United States, but around the world. Therefore, job security is non-existent. There is no job security. If I don't work well and I don't do my job and perform to a certain expectation, I will be replaced by somebody else who will do it just as good, if not better than me, probably at a, cho- at a cheaper wage. So job security is at an all-time low. I have to work hard to show my boss and my employer that I deserve to sit in this seat at this desk in this office and earn my wage. There was a time when uh, our identity and our value in society was defined by our social standing. For instance, there was a time when I would be valued as a respectful father of three, raising a family, raising my children, loving my wife. But now who cares how many kids I have and how loving I am to my wife? Now I'm defined by my salary and my paycheck. Am I making six figures or seven or eight or nine? Am I going to retire when I'm 60 or 50 or maybe even 40? That is now how we value people in society. Who is making the most money? They are the ones that are successful. Why are they successful? Because they're working incredibly hard. There was a time when the CEO made about 10 or 20 times more than the entry-level worker in their company. 10 or 20 times, but today a CEO in a company on average is is maybe earning 100 or 200 times what the average entry level person is uh, uh, earning in their company. Therefore, if you're making that much money, you have to work that much harder to validate your position because you have You have investors that you have to report to, a board, you have associates, you have VPs, you have executives that are waiting for you, that you're accountable to, to show that you deserve to hold the seat that you sit in and earn the paycheck that you have because you work hard and you worked hard to get there and you'll continue to work hard to stay there. But the problem today is not only are the VPs and the CEOs and the CFOs working incredibly hard, even the entry-level worker has to bust their butt just to keep their job, and they're not making enough money to make ends meet. So they have to go out on the weekend and work at Starbucks and Gap and Apple, and they have to work these part-time jobs just so they can make ends meet. So they are also working an incredible number of hours to make ends meet. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of the food chain or at the bottom of the food chain. We are all maxing out our output potential, and more so. The average American works about 46 hours a week in the office. If you include work at home, it's about 52 hours. It's emails, text messages, uh, work that you bring home every day from uh, work or school. One out of every three people in America who work don't take vacations. Maybe they're forced to stay home, but then they'll just stay home and work on work. They just won't do it in the office. We are an overworked culture. Therefore, this is a very important message for us. One psychotherapist by the name of Brian Robinson writes this in his book, Chained to the Desk. I like the title of that book. It's a guidebook for workaholics. He says, overwork is this decade's cocaine, the problem without a name. Workaholism is an obsessive-compulsive disorder that manifests itself through self-imposed demands, an inability to regulate work habits, and an overindulgence in work to the exclusion of most other life activities. Is this you? Do you have an obsessive-compulsive disorder? And maybe most of you here don't even have jobs yet, but you're students, and this is all the, mo- all the more just as applicable to you because you don't have a nine to five Monday through Friday. You study all the time. Technology was supposed to cut the 40 hour work week in half 50 years ago. Instead, it's increased by 25%. Because of technology, we can work anywhere. So we work everywhere all the time. And if you're a student or if you're an employee, you're always working to get ahead. Because if you aren't getting ahead, somebody else will leapfrog you and take your place. If you are not studying and making straight A's and working an internship and doing research on the side, when you graduate and submit your resume and job application, it'll just be one in a stack of a hundred people that look just like you. So you have to work even harder to set yourself apart. And with these type of work habits as students and as young professionals, it's no wonder why we are always tired and drained and burnt out and not enjoying the life that god wants us to experience as his people do you get what i'm saying have i gotten your attention or are you so tired and overworked that you actually just missed all of that and you're actually sleeping i think brian robinson's got a point i think that's why herman miller can sell chairs for a thousand dollars and desks for five because they know that people are sitting in these chairs and at these desks for 50 to 60 hours a week And they will pay the money so that ergonomically it will be more comfortable and bearable and they won't get carpal tunnel or tendinitis or back pain or or bad uh, vision because they haven't had correct alignment or adjustment in their backs. This is the world in which we live in. That most of you are working in and most of you will be working in. It is a rat race. And if you'd rather not work hard, then you can just go home and live with your parents while all of your colleagues and peers move ahead of you and take the jobs that you should have had or you could have had because they chose to work a little harder. And because we know that, we try to work harder than they so that we aren't left behind or so that we can increase our paycheck by another zero or so that we can retire a decade sooner or have a second home or a third or a third car or a fourth car or a five-car garage house or to be able to vacation anywhere we want in the world, first class, whenever we want. That's called status. And because of it, we are living for that kind of status, and we are enslaved to working to achieve it. And so this message is important. You thought this was just going to be one of those, hey, go to church on Sunday and take a break from your books and you know turn off your Blackberry, but that's not what this message is about. It's so much more than that. This is actually the longest written command of the Ten Commandments, not because it's the most important. They're all important. But it's the longest, in my opinion, because Moses realized that this is the most simple. It's the most obvious. We all need a break. We all need a rest. And because it's so simple, he wants to be very concise and specific and articulate about what it means to actually do something that, oh, I, I know what that means. Just take a break. Take a nap. Go watch TV. Just don't go to the office. So Moses actually has a lot to say about this. And in the command, he tells us what the command is, how to do it, and why. So let's look at what it is. It says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is the command. This is the, what is the command? It is to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, No other command begins with the word remember. Okay? And so there's something we need to pay attention to here. What does Moses want us to remember? Isn't this the first time the Ten Commandments have been given to the people? Are you trying to say that it was given to people before and we've got to remember them? Well, what Moses is doing, he's trying to call us back to attention, trying to remind us of two things in particular, creation Because we know in Genesis that God worked for six days, creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And on the seventh day, what did God do? God rested. He ceased. He Sabbathed. So Moses is not only pointing us back to creation, but he's also pointing us back to and forward to redemption, in which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But in other words, what Moses is saying is stop. Remember. Be. Remember. The Sabbath, by keeping it holy. What is there to remember? It's to remember who God is and who we are. God is infinite and limitless. We are finite and very limited people. And we are to remember that there is only one who can do it all. And we're supposed to pause and reflect and and, and marvel at that by worshiping, by honoring, by exalting God, by praising him. But it's also kind of like a memo that Moses is giving. He's saying, every week you have to do this or else you will forget how great he is and how little you are, how big he is and how small you are. It's kind of like if I were to say, okay, uh, honey, I know it's your birthday. Guess what? I remembered. You know, it's on my calendar. Happy birthday. See you later. And then I just go and ignore her for the rest of the day or the week or the month. If I did that and turned around, I'd get hit in the head with a boomerang (laughs) because we have boomerangs in our house. To remember her birthday isn't just, hey baby, happy birthday, see you later, have a great day. It's to say, hey, tonight you and me, we're going out, we're going out, we're going to go eat somewhere nice, all right? I'm not talking about like, you know, Chipotle. I'm talking about, we're going to go somewhere good, all right? I, you're going to put on some new clothes, we're going to bring the kids along. Maybe we get some babysitters, babysitters. Here are some flowers, and these aren't from Stop and Shop. These are actually from a nice floral place. You know, here's a, a shirt or some jewelry, here's some chocolate. I mean, I am going out of my way to remember just another day but it happens to be the day that she was born and so I'm expressing to her, I'm glad that you're alive and I'm glad God has given us another year together and I'm glad every day that you get to breathe and, and stay alive and I get to know you and love you and be with you and I'm just reminding her and reminding myself that there is someone special in my life. And that is what Moses wants us to do. He wants us to stop for a second, not just for a second to say God is good, God is great, but he's saying, worship the Lord. In Leviticus, it calls us to convocate. That's a word I just made up. But it's a convocation that we're called to, to gather together and worship, to be under God and look up to him and honor him and remember him and and proclaim to him the goodness of who he is and what he's done. And if we don't do that, we will forget, and we will start thinking much of ourselves as if we got here by our own merit and our own effort. And so to remember the Sabbath is to remember that we are here because God created us to begin with. God sustains us with the word of his mouth, and he is able to do all things. And so every week, it's a rhythm. And... and, and you know, I don't want to get all specific, you know, is it Sunday, is it Monday, is it Saturday, you know, which, is it 24 hours, is it just when the sun's up, you know, what can I do, what can, you know, am I allowed to watch TV, can I go shopping, can I go gardening, you know, can I tie my shoelaces, can I do the dishes, I mean, what counts, what doesn't, well, it doesn't need to be all that specific, basically, Moses is giving us a rhythm that God operated by, he worked for six days, rested for one, he continues to today, so it's not literally a day. He didn't even create the solar system until the fourth day. So what were the first three days? They weren't really days. They weren't 24-hour days. It wasn't like six 24-hour days and then one 24-hour day of rest. And so I want to pull us away from that kind of thinking, that kind of very narrow-minded, black-and-white kind of thinking. What Moses is reminding us to do is to pause, to cease. Sabbath means to cease or to rest and to reflect on who God is. By making it holy, we're reserving that day to remember God. That is what this command is. Now, how do we do it? He explains it. Six days you work. uh, You you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, animals, aliens, anybody that belongs to you or is under you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So he's saying here, six days you work, because God worked six days. How do we do it? Well, oftentimes we forget this part of the commandment we often say, okay, it means remember the Sabbath, so don't work one day a week. But it also says work six days a week. So this commandment is actually telling us to do something very productive, to make the most of our time, to redeem it, by working hard. Why? Because God also worked for six days. And because we have been created in his image to bear his glory, we therefore are also asked to do what he does Therefore, we create, we produce, we labor, we work for six days because God also worked for six days. And then he rested. So therefore, we should also rest. This is why. Why? Because God did it. Now, this is a how because we're supposed to work. But why? Well, it tells us in the next verse. The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God set apart this day for several reasons, probably more than I'm about to explain, but just a few, to give us literally physical rest. But it's not just for physical rest. A lot of people think, man, God is genius. He knows how we're wired, and he knew that if we didn't get any rest, we'd just work ourselves into the ground. So God is genius. He implemented this. No, if it was about simply rest, this commandment would be about simply man. But this commandment is not about man. This commandment is about God. And God did not give us this command as a response to our modern day busyness and hecticness. It's not like God was on the throne and said, oh my gosh, they're working so hard. Oh no, look at them, they're not resting. Remember the Sabbath. No, God wasn't responding to our busyness. This goes back to creation. This goes back to redemption. The most important reason why we are supposed to remember the Sabbath Is actually not even stated in Exodus 20. And I'm not trying to trick you here, but the Ten Commandments are also given to us in Deuteronomy, by the way. All right, make a note of that. In Deuteronomy, you can also find the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 5 Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your ox. Word for word. Still the same, no contradiction. Your donkey, any of your animals, nor the alien within your... Okay, he mentions donkey, okay? And the other one he says animal, okay? Or creature. Nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Word for word, practically the same. But in Deuteronomy 5, Moses reminds us of something very significant that we can't forget. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt... And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. What is he talking about? Moses is saying, don't work on the Sabbath. Remember, keep it holy. And now he's saying, not only remember the Sabbath, he's saying, remember who you were. Who were they? Well, for 400 years, the Israelites were oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians And you know what they did every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days, I mean, just on and on and on, without any rest, without any weekends, without any vacays, without any R&R. Do you know what the Israelites did for 400 years as slaves? Their primary occupation was to make bricks every day until they died. They made bricks every day so Pharaoh could build his pyramids and his roads and his buildings and his structures and build his kingdom from east to west. Therefore, he needed people that would work hard under oppression, and therefore, he enslaved the Israelites and forced them to hard manual labor, and they made bricks seven days a week. No Sunday off, no Saturday off, no Memorial Day, no Labor Day, no Fourth of July. Every day, 52 weeks out of the year, and you had a quota And if you didn't meet your quota of bricks at your age with your physical condition, you would either be punished or killed or you would be unfed and then eventually die. And they would put somebody else in your line so that you could meet that quota and make those bricks. Therefore, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, you were evaluated or valued or commodified by the number of bricks you could produce a day, a week, and a year. Joseph can create 35 bricks a day, so he's worth 35 bricks a day. Sarah makes 22 bricks a day, so she's worth 22 bricks a day. Jacob can make 17 bricks a day, so he is worth 17 bricks a day. But if Jacob slips to 14 and a half bricks a day, kill him, get rid of him now. Put Michael in his place. We were evaluated. The Israelites were evaluated by how many bricks they made. Their value was not in... It wasn't intrinsic in their existence, in their being and being a human. It was how much they could put out, output, produce. And for 400 years, this is the way the Israelites lived, until one day, God redeemed them. He set them free, delivered them from the hands of Egypt, and led them to the promised land. And so on their journey, as they were leaving Egypt and crossing through the Red Sea, they were in the wilderness. And for the first time, they didn't know what to do with themselves. They didn't know how to gather food. So God said, I'm going to give you manna and quail every day for six days. But on the seventh day, I don't want you to gather. On the sixth day, I'll give you a double portion. And it won't perish. It won't spoil. It'll last for two days. But I'm doing it so that on the seventh day, you can remember... Not only that I rested, and I am a God who works and rests, but I want you to remember where you're from. But the people were freaking out because they realized, you know what? If we don't work a day a week, then our value will go down. Our quota will go down. We won't be able to earn as much or produce as much. Therefore, we won't be loved. We won't be embraced. We won't be accepted. We won't be popular. We'll be looked down upon. People will leapfrog us. They'll take our jobs. We'll be killed. And this was their memory of not working hard enough. But now God is saying, one day a week, I want you to remember that it's not about how much you produce, how many bricks you make. I want you to remember that you're valuable and loved simply because you belong to me. And that's why I want you to set that day apart so you can worship me and honor me and remember who I am, who you were, but also who you are. And this is what the Israelites did for 4,000 years. They observed the Sabbath. They remembered it each week on Saturday. They continue. The Jews continue to do it today, don't they? At the synagogue, they go on Saturday, and they cease from work, and they worship, and they study Hebrew, and they read the scriptures. But the Sabbath, not only is supposed to remember us of what God has done and who he is and who we were, but it's also to remind us and point us to something else. The Sabbath is supposed to point to something greater. What the Sabbath points to is what God is doing now. What is God doing now? He is still Sabbathing. He's still resting. After six days, he made it all. Now he is resting, and he's still resting. And so every time we Sabbath, we remember what he's doing and where we're going to be for eternity. And how are we going to get there? Is it by working hard and earning credit and favor and merit with God? Or does God do something to enable us to be credited so that we can experience that with Him and we no longer have to be slaves to sin, slaves to our flesh, slaves to the law? No, in fact... God redeemed us again, but this time it was an ultimate redemption. Exodus was just a mini-redemption. But Jesus Christ came to become the ultimate redeemer. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is a yoke and what is a burden? What is he talking to? Rest, yoke, What? Well, what happened is after thousands of years, the Israelites started to manipulate the Ten Commandments and the 652 laws written in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees created 25 additional observance ordinances just to subcategorize what the Sabbath commandment was all about. You're not allowed to lift your donkey if it falls into a pit. If you do, you work, and therefore if you work, you must go repent and offer a sacrifice to the Lord, according to the Halakha. The people would manipulate this gift that God had given them and they would oppress people with this heavy yoke of slavery and every rabbi's teaching and their rules and ordinances were considered a yoke that you would wear. I'm wearing the yoke of my rabbi and he tells me that I literally can't wash the dishes on the Sabbath or else I have to leave the camp for seven days. And that's an oppressive yoke, that's a heavy yoke. That means literally I can't do anything on that day. Even if my goat falls into a ditch, I cannot help it out. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, hey, I'll show you. And Jesus gives another yoke that is easy and light. Why is it easy and why is it light? Because he now carries the weight of your sin and your legalism and your flesh upon himself on the cross and exchanges his right, his inheritance, his standing with the Father with yours. That's why if you come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, He will give you rest. And it's not just a physical rest or a break from your job. It is eternal rest with the Father. It is to know that it's not what you can produce, what you can earn, what you can create. It is simply because you're loved by the Father. David knew this in the Old Testament. Psalm 62, David says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And the author of Hebrews writes the same thing. He says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It remains. What kind of rest? For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Whose example of disobedience? Well, if you read beginning of Hebrews 4, he's talking about the Israelites who were redeemed from Egypt. And as they were wandering in the wilderness for generations, they forgot who they were and who God was. And therefore, they started to disobey and violate the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath principle. And they weren't able to enter into the promised land. God had to wait until that entire generation passed away. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us the same way. Don't follow them. Don't forget who you are, who you were, and who God is. You must remember this every week. And that's why the early church began to start worshiping on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Look at your calendar. It doesn't begin on Monday. Maybe work, maybe class, maybe school begins on Monday. But on my calendar, there's a Sunday before Monday. It's the first day of the week. So the church said on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead... We will gather together and offer him a worship service. So it's not a day off. We're serving God by worshiping him. The Old Testament, uh, I'm sorry, the Old Testament, yes, and the early church even went out and did ministries of mercy, justice, and kindness on Sunday. They would feed the poor and heal the sick. I love that recently we sent out two teams on Sunday night to serve the homeless. It's like, yeah, but Sunday's my day off. I get to watch football. No, not really. Saturday was your day off. Sunday is the day that the church has built this rhythm into worshiping God and serving those in need. So we begin the week worshiping God, not only because it's the beginning of the week and we want to start our our week with the Lord, but it's also the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. So we celebrate his resurrection, and every Sunday is an Easter. It's a reminder that we are alive because he is alive, and he has risen from the grave. So the Sabbath is a reminder of who we are, and what we're worth but without it we will like everyone else does forget who we are who we were and who god is and we will return to becoming slaves maybe you won't go back building bricks but you'll be a slave to your boss you'll be a slave to your professor you'll be a slave to your family you have got to earn enough to keep them happy and stop them from complaining don't you You've got to work hard enough to please everybody in your life so you're a slave to all the people you're trying to impress. Your parents keep asking you when you're going to get a raise, when you're going to move out of the house, when you're going to buy them a car, when you're going to get them enough money so they can retire. So you're a slave to them. You're working hard so that you can please and satisfy them you revert back into slavery when you realize that all you're trying to do is serve and please everyone around you, your boss, your CEO, or your husband, or your wife, or your children, or whatever it is, or whoever it is, you promised something nice to that you have to earn to deliver. But the Sabbath reminds us, no, we rest because we worship God, and he alone is worthy of our praise. And our value is not determined and evaluated and calculated by how much money we earn or how effective we are on the job but because we're beloved children of god i want to close with this illustration uh, i have to use a movie every other week or so so let me use another movie this is chariots of fire released in 1981 many of you were not even created existed uh, that's okay i was uh, a little kid at that time and I uh, saw this movie in the theater with my dad. Didn't remember, didn't know what was going on. But as I became older, this movie, I started to appreciate it because it's so profound and deep. Basically, it's about two men, a Christian and a Jew. The Christian's name is Scott Liddell. The Jew's name is uh, it's Abraham something. And uh, no, no, it's something Abrahams. And uh, they're both Olympic athletes. And the Christian, uh, he is uh, uh, he's, uh, uh, competing in the mile. And, and, and this movie is about him trying to break the four-minute mile barrier by back in 1926. And so uh, he's running hard, and he says, you know, this is what God has given me to do. And there's that famous line, when I run, I feel his pleasure, right? That comes from the chariots of fire, where he's running, and he realizes he's doing the exact thing, the, the, the precise thing that God has created him for that he's supposed to do on earth. But his friend, the Jew, he is running, and he doesn't run the mile, but he runs the 100-meter dash, and he runs the 100-meter dash, and his reason for running is not because he feels God's pleasure to give him glory, but because he's trying to overcome prejudice that he's experienced his entire life as a Jew in 1926. And so there's a scene, it's a dramatic scene, it's really, and I love this quote. His name was Harold Abrahams, by the way. Harold Abrahams says to Scott Lydell, And now, in one hour's time, before the games began, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, ten feet 10 feet tall, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Harold is saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to run like I always do. And if I'm the fastest in those 10 seconds, I will become immortal. I will be remembered. My name will go down in the books. I will justify my existence. If I what? If I produce, if I'm the fastest, if I worked the hardest, if I was the most disciplined, if I'm the most focused, if I'm all about what I do, if I do that better than anyone else, I will justify my existence. And then there's the statement or the question but will I? If I don't win, if I lose, If I come in second place I'm just the first loser then what I won't be remembered my existence won't be justified I love that because guess what we do the same thing I've got one job interview I've got to nail it home run to justify my existence I've got one month to show my new boss he made the right hire got one year to earn a salary, show my parents that they didn't waste their money on me when I was in college, justify my existence. They gave up everything so I could have an education, so I'm going to show them my first year out of college how much money I can make, and I'm going to project that out for the next 25 years, and I'm going to show them that I'm worth every penny they spent on my education. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself in a meeting, if I could just come up with one clever insight, I can prove to my team that I'm smart. If I can tweet something that gets retweeted 25 times, I can show the Twitter universe <laughs> that I'm actually a cool person, that I'm intuitive, that I have a sense of what's going on in the world. If I get 35 likes on my Facebook post, what are we, what are we saying? Or what are we saying when we feel that elation every time somebody says, hey, you're smart. That was a really clever insight. Or every time we get the like or the, or, 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 the, or, the, or the retweet, and that makes us feel good about ourselves, what are we saying? We're saying your compliment, your approval, my promotion, my GPA is what I live for. That's what makes, that's what gives me meaning, that's what gives me purpose. So I will think harder and longer I will search deep within my soul to be more creative, to be more productive, to show you that I'm the best person for this case, to remind you that you didn't make a mistake when you hired me into the firm and made me partner, that I earn every dollar of that scholarship that you awarded to me. We live our lives trying to justify our existence by what we do when the Sabbath reminds us that our existence is justified by what Christ has done. We are no longer valuable and worthy because of what we can do or what we've done. We are unrighteous. We are now valuable and worthy because of what Christ did, not in 10 seconds, but over six hours, one Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago, as he hung from a cross and three, la- three days later, when he came out of the tomb, fully risen in bodily form, at that moment, that's what all the Sabbaths before that were pointing to, and that's what all the Sabbaths since are pointing back to. Not only creation, but redemption. That we are redeemed, that we are good enough, that we are lovable as guilty as I feel, as ashamed I am as as I am of my past or my crappy GPA or my sucky job, guess what, that doesn't define me. I'm defined because I am created in the image of God and he loves me so much, he redeemed me by buying my life and my eternity with the blood of his son and that's what justifies my existence. Not winning the 100 meter dash or breaking the four minute mile or getting a 4.0 or being the top of my class Or being promoted so I can have a seven or eight figure income to retire by the time I'm 40. That doesn't justify anything. It just reminds you that you're still a slave to the approval and expectation and acceptance of others. But the Sabbath reminds us you only need to be approved and accepted and loved by one. So make it holy by worshiping Him, remembering what He's done remembering who you are because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you no longer have to follow 652 rules, ordinances, and regulations just to be holy and set apart and worship me. But if you have faith, if you believe, if you lay down your life, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, everything, and exchange it with the glory that comes through the Son, Jesus Christ, guess what? You will experience a freedom and a rest that no vacation will ever give you. You will experience an achievement that no salary or GPA or job will ever provide. You will continue to work hard, and I hope you will, because until we go to heaven, we need to work six days like God works six days. But we will work an honest six days, And not so that we can show people that we've arrived and we're valuable, but so that we can show people that we work for the glory of God. And on the seventh day, we set it apart to give him that glory. We convocate, we gather, we congregate, we worship him. We don't work, we don't pick up our BlackBerry, we don't go into the office, we don't do all that stuff. We we take a break because you know what? It's not about how far I can get ahead today versus the guy who isn't, it's, you know what, in a day from now, on Monday morning, on Tuesday, whenever it is you Sabbath, whenever it is you cease, whenever it is you break, when you return, you realize you're not behind. You're still ahead. And you always will be. If you remember who you are, who he is, and what he's done. And that's what this command is about. And if we're not careful, we will forget and we will work hard because we are trying to justify our existence. And so I invite you today as we move into this time of singing and praise and worship to let go of everything that you've been holding on so tightly to to value yourself, to present yourself. Let it go. Right now, let it go. And give God worship today, right now. Make this time holy. Set this time apart. We only get it for an hour and a half. After this, you go home. We're not, we're not, uh, for seven days, we're going to be apart. We come back together next week. But this day is a gift. This time is a gift. Let's honor the Lord in it. Let's give him the worthy honor and worship that he deserves. Let's remember the Sabbath and keep it holy Let's pray together. Father, we realize that uh, this command is not about us. It's not about giving us a day off or giving us a break, although it does give us that, although we need that, although we do need to unwind and unplug and disconnect. Father, we need all those things. But ultimately, what this is about is loving you more. In fact, these 10 commandments is all about loving you first and foremost and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so today, as we continue to understand and and, and explore what it means to, to, to follow the Ten Commandments, Lord, may we be driven to you in worship, in humility, in repentance, in rest. Because, God, it's not what we can do that earns an audience with you. You've done it all. You've paid it all. You've earned it all for us through your Son. And so, Lord God, as we uh, continue in our worship, may we give you ultimate worth. May we honor you with our lips and with our hearts and with our time. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.